There are those who say that life is an illusion, and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome, and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Welcome back to the God Box Cafe. We are now on the other side of the veil and bringing you the magic that is Avalon, currently called Cornwall. And as you know, our previous guest, Sarah Donahue, is here to share her wisdom. Today, we're going to focus our conversation on trees. Sarah, I grew up in trees. When I was a kid, I spent all my time just cradled in their branches. And then I took it to another level becoming a druid with Obod and knowing the significance of the trees and their value from a spiritual and a practical level. And we also know, based on our cultural mythologies, that you had Odin hanging upside down in Yggdrasil, where he found his own way towards enlightenment, and Buddha put his spine up against a tree and found it too. So I think now is the time for us to be more like trees and know what the connection is and reacquaint ourselves with the beauty of the standing people, as the natives would say. Now, Sarah, you're in the thick of this, and you've had ample opportunity to understand the importance and the value of trees. Do share your wisdom with our listeners, because many of them may not, being in an urban environment, have all that much opportunity to take that uh, forest bath. Yes, I think... It's so beautiful, isn't it, calling them the standing people? I didn't actually grow up in Cornwall. I did grow up in a reason, a relatively urban environment. However, it was the 70s, so there were a lot more spaces within that area at, at the time. And as children, I don't think we were frightened to go and seek out the trees and climb them and play in them. Maybe that doesn't happen as much today. I'm not sure, perhaps depending on your upbringing or where you live. But when I was very small, we had one very special tree, which we would, as soon as we went home from school, we would gather our things and go straight to the to the willow tree. And it was just so beautiful. It had branches that we could easily climb up and we used to get quite high and we weren't afraid to you know go right up into the boughs and we also had a little not a den I suppose but where we would keep our little magical trinkets our special stones that we'd found or thing objects that we'd leaves that we might have platted and it, I think it just comes very very naturally to children and as an adult, it's not something that we're really encouraged to do, to go and climb a tree. People would look askance and what on earth are they doing? But I would say you've actually brought back quite a powerful memory. I haven't thought about this for a long, long time. And I do remember that one day we went to the tree and somebody had chopped all of the branches off purely so that, that we couldn't climb up because it was on a, sort of an, on a railway embankment and it was behind some houses. And we never went back to that tree again after that. And I think that was probably the last time I climbed a tree. So there is, it ignites something in you, doesn't it? What, I can't possibly think in my wildest dreams what would be so annoying about watching children play in the trees. And I know that we have all of this health and safety now, we never once fell out of that tree. It, it never harmed us in any way. We love that tree. And even the stories that were written by Enid Blyton, I don't know if you know that English author, the magic faraway tree. So I think there is a thing, it's not, it wasn't just us in the grove that played in these trees. I think children all around the world play in trees or did play in trees. And I would, I would wonder if, that, if that's still a thing. 
Fewer opportunities. And what I have seen recently is from a parenting standpoint, people are too busy on their phones or giving kids these Mm -hmm. devices to distract them. So you've got the virtual reality version of this, whereas I would uh, prefer to do a nature walk where the real deal is concerned because the spirit of the tree is not available to you on a machine. And uh, that's not something you can replicate But uh, so much of that has been substituted. I've literally witnessed children who don't know what to do when you put them in a field. It's so sad, isn't it? And then, you know, I I do think even in the urban environment, some of the street trees are absolutely beautiful. I did visit my family recently and there was a stunning uh, ginkgo biloba tree just planted ornamentally in the street. But I would be hard pushed to find anybody who... If I stopped them and said, could you tell me what that tree, the name of that tree is, I don't think they would know. They probably walk past it every day, again, on the phone or rushing and not taking the time to connect. I mean, trees are everywhere, aren't they? And I, I, if anything, I do find, even though the woodland here is very beautiful, because we are also on a coastal area, unless you go a little bit further inland, there isn't much shade from the trees because we have the beaches. So... Again, it's, I suppose it's you have to look for these things, don't you? They're right there in front of us. But it's our choice whether we see them or not. Yes, we have to foster that awareness, even though, as you mentioned, there is something intuitive about it when we're children and exploring the world from a place of awe and wonder. And the very nature of the trees in terms of the celestial connection by way of the branches and then the root system that keeps them grounded and anchored and the fact that they talk to each other. Do we do that enough? I know. I mean, granted, I'm talking to you from miles away, thanks to the technology, but I don't allow that to substitute real human contact. And now there is such a move towards replacing human contact with this as a as something that is superior or more rewarding, largely, I think, because you get that dopamine rush of getting instant gratification, where when it comes to connecting with living things, it may not be instant gratification because you have to be fully present and in the moment. That's true. And also another thought that kind of sprang into my mind when I was just talking with you then is even when the tree is dead it still communicates with us we used to have a very old um walking stick a blackthorn stick which belonged to my grandfather who was in the army and it was a carved very tall stick with a big brass knob on the top and we we always used to be a little bit afraid of it because we used to think it came out of the cupboard at night and, and tapped around the house and we'd make stories up about this stick so it was kind of part of our you know, the wood, the furniture, go into a room and it's made with beautiful old furniture in there. You can still feel the spirit of the tree. I think there's something very ethereal about, is that the right way to pronounce that? Ethereal? About the tree itself in life and in death. But again, it's how it's what we notice, isn't it? And our perhaps the tree can only talk to us if we stop and talk to it. I've seen actual evidence of that because during the lockdown, we weren't allowed to go into an area that's acres of preserved land called High Park here in Toronto. And you weren't allowed to walk around there during the lockdown, but you had many people of the Asian community who would go there when the cherry blossoms bloomed as part of their cultural ritual. And then after when things eased up, what happened was there's another park close to me that had cherry trees newly planted. So they were saplings. When these people, as a result of not being able to go to High Park, came and saw the blooms, the trees in this other park, I kid you not, the circumference of the trunks doubled in the next year. They were huge, huge. So the attention that we give them supports them. The fact that they went there just, and it wasn't, it was just when the the blossoms were out, but people were hugging them. People were taking photos with them. They were completely interacting with these trees from a place of joy. 
And the trees felt it and they responded in kind. So I literally bore witness to that in the physical reality. I've also heard that if you play classical music where your plants are concerned, they'll double their yield with regards to the fruit that they bear. Mm-hmm. It's true, isn't it? I really believe that trees have do have a character. There is a, there is a tree that I passed by it's quite a scary tree. It's a big black yew tree and it must be hundreds of years old. But it almost looks like a hangman's tree because it has w- one very straight, I mean, almost like a ruler, straight, big, thick branch that just sticks right out and the rest of it goes up very tall. And I am I do like talking to trees, but this one, I'll never talk to it. I, I, always, I always want to tip my hat and never have a hat on. But that kind of action, you want to say, hello, Mr. Tree," and just walk by very quickly. So I think, you know, maybe like us, they have different powers. Um, and I think as well, you know, this the energy that's stored within them on the land, isn't it called the wood wide web as well now that we believe that the roots are tall, they're a little bit like the mycelium with the mushrooms. And that really, how... Oh, the audacity that we've got to think that we're the only intelligent creatures, well, as, with animals, that, but we don't treat plants in the same way. They're living beings. It's crazy. Yeah, we just have to take the time to to feel that heartbeat because much like ourselves, the sap, I mean, when I put my spine up against a tree, I can feel the sap when the tree comes out of dormancy, when the seasons change and they start budding. So they wake up, they come alive. And there are times where I've been in such a state of sorrow even when I see apple trees and no one's bothered to pick what abundant on the ground for you, for you, for free. And nobody bothers. They just go to the grocery store and buy their apples there. When my son was little, we used to go to this farm where you could pick your own apples. So going up into the branches and picking the apples is is quite a treat. It truly is. It's very funny that you should say that because this afternoon I have an appointment at a cider farm, which is only just down the road. And in I'm not sure if you have the same term, but we would call it scrumping. Have you heard of that before? And that's where the word uh, scrumpy comes from. If you Google Cornish scrumpy, it is cider. It's not fizzy cider. It's made with the raw apple juice. And it's made only a couple of miles down the road here. But they've asked me if I would go and do a video about their apple trees because obviously now is the time when things are starting to blossom and when you look at those trees even the very young trees the beauty of the structure because they just reach their arms right out and they're just wonderful but like you say to see all of the apples on the floor and I do remember during lockdown that they put a thing on Facebook to say we're not open but we'll put the apples outside for people to come in just take what they want so there was apples and apples and apples. i mean we couldn't have you couldn't have eaten them all if you tried yeah the abundance is there and it's ours for the taking if we just open our eyes and pay attention it's all there and i have to share with you also when it comes to associations you're fully aware of these things as an herbalist but when you cut an apple crosswise mm-hmm. it's it's the pentagram that venus makes in the sky so apples are associated with the planet venus and as above so below so if you cut that apple in half there you go there's that planet saying hello to you so it goes even far beyond and the health properties of eating apples there used to be a phrase not that that that's used anymore but an apple a day keeps the doctor away you know i believe there is relevance to that most assuredly and the, the story of Snow White with the apple as well. And uh, even the very bitter apples are, I mean, just thinking about it now, I can almost feel the juice start to come up. And sometimes they're very nice, aren't they? The, the bitter ones, just as nice as the, the sweet ones. But actually at the end of our, again, it's an, an ornamental tree that people will walk by is the Oregon mountain grape. I don't think it's it's not native to this country, but it is planted as an ornamental tree. And the grapes that are on that at the moment, the branches are laden. And of course, they're very bitter and you wouldn't want to eat a lot of them, but the medicine is there. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. The medicine is everywhere around us if we just take the time. And that's why I so respect and appreciate what you're doing in terms of educating the community, especially young people, to know that that medicine is readily available. And it's also a maintenance. All of the energy that comes from the sun is absorbed by those plants and then it's made, handed over to us. And we absorb it by consuming it. And then just saying a little bit of gratitude or offering up something in exchange um, and then not harvesting beyond what the plant could cope with as far as keeping it alive for the next season. It's one thing I've noticed now. Frankincense is endangered because so many people as a consequence of their spiritual practices are trying to gain access to these things without really taking into account how the depletion works Sure, there is an abundance, but there's also a question of balance. So only take as much as you need. And uh, it's that's... Thing, isn't it? with the social media now, it's a very fine line because on the one hand, you want to educate people about these trees in order that they respect and look after them. But then there is this element off on social media. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Look, anyone can take a picture of an Oregon mountain grape, but do you know how to harvest that medicine and make something from it? Or are you just going to pick the buds and leave them on the side to lie and, and wither away? Because you've got your photograph now. Coming back to that issue of AI, there's this idea, isn't there, that we've got all of this abundance of information but it's what you do with the information, isn't it? It's all right having the information, but if you're not using the information, then what's the point of it, really? It's not serving its purpose. And I suppose in former times, people would be aware, or much more aware than people are nowadays, of the tree medicine and the plant medicine, but they would use it in their everyday life. They would make apple cider out of it and give the excess away to their neighbours and make sure that there was enough planted for next year that if they didn't have that they would go without and I think that element is missing now despite the fact that more people knew about the medicine then it was used in a much wiser way I think that's getting back to the point of balance and the point of respect these are living things they're not just a question of I'm just going to take what I need and consume it that consumer mentality is what is taking us into a very dangerous and dark realm and there's no spirituality in that no but also i think even the other medicine that it provides in the form of shade or as a refuge for animals we see the birds flying and we know that those birds are coming from hundreds of miles miles away but they'll still go to that very same tree the same one that they went to the year before and the year before that what if that tree isn't there and quite recently there was a big uproar in Plymouth, which is uh, in Devon, not in Cornwall, but quite near, it's one of the nearer cities. And overnight, the fact that they did it overnight was really quite... Oh, the council went in and just chopped down all of these street trees and people woke up in the morning, like, well, what have you done that for? So they've got no shade at all in the town centre. And they've, these trees must have taken hundreds of years to grow. And, oh, yes, well, we're creating a park. We're going to make this beautiful green space in the middle of the city. Well, what have you sacrificed in order to achieve that? Who has made that decision? I find that appalling because the community is supposed to be engaged in the dialogue of decisions along those lines. But then when you take a look at how much the Amazon has been torn down as a consequence oh. of development, and people need to understand that trees create the oxygen we're breathing. So the fewer of them that are around, there's going to be an ecological impact. I've seen ecosystems get completely devastated because the root systems are what keep the soil where it belongs. And the moment that you decide to raise an area, you change the ecosystem irreversibly. And the land is scorched because there's nothing to protect it from the elements. Yeah. And then you get entire cliff sides coming down and you have mudslides and you have all kinds of catastrophic consequences. And what does it take for those people who make those decisions to understand the consequences of that? Sure, it's short-term gain because you're going to make money from some way, shape or form. The other day I was, uh, when I take my dog out, there are coyotes everywhere and I just, I sing with them when I hear them, but they've got nowhere to go. We've got 
an insane amount of condominium development to a point where there is no green land. Where are they going to gather the food they need to sustain themselves? The rabbits will be gone. The squirrels will be gone. The squirrels live in the trees. These are the types of things that you have to shake your head and ask yourself, where is the long-term benefit? What about sustaining what our grandchildren's grandchildren will be living in instead of just creating these metal boxes and then just giving them a gadget in their hands to amuse themselves with. That is what alarms me, quite honestly. Mm. It is shocking. But then I, when you do take children out into nature, I do think that that innate thing that's inside them. We have um, a Celtic rainforest near us, which is St. Necton's Glen. There's a beautiful waterfall there uh, and some very rare species of trees and it really does feel like a rainforest when you it's very well not as humid as the amazon but you when you do see children just taken away I mean, you can't get an internet signal there anyway it's impossible so even if you did have a phone it would be you may as well toss it in the river and it, it's it, you know they do engage with things so i think it's just a matter of it's the level of exposure isn't it i i think you, if you're exposed to that sort of environment as a child then it's it's easier, isn't it, to find that connection? And many people now, from a therapeutic standpoint, where mental health is concerned, Sarah, I have counseled people when it came to anxiety and depression. And doing the forest bathing makes a world of difference. It well and truly does. It calms you in such a way that any kind of medication doesn't even come close. So the whole notion of walking through, we have lots of cedar and a friend of mine has an entire glade of cedar trees, and I've convinced many people. And he walks in the middle of winter barefoot in that cedar forest. That man is extraordinary, and he's one of my heroes. I don't suggest that everybody walk barefoot in the winter in Canada, but nonetheless, he is as healthy as a horse, and these things matter. So even grounding the whole notion of earthing and walking and connecting your feet with the soil, it does make a difference. We have a, a local community project here. I think I've spoken with you about this before. The Orchard, it's called Nuki Orchard. And on this Saturday, I'll be teaching an anxiety workshop at The Orchard. And it's all of the volunteers, the people that volunteer there. The, if you ask them, why do you volunteer? It's for the mental health. Nine out of ten times. I mean, there is other people that want to learn about gardening. Obviously, they're interested in gardening as well, but... I don't think it's it's not about that. It's about connecting with the land and about being part of something that's bigger. And time doesn't fly in the same way, does it, when you're in a natural environment? It seems to have its own rhythm. It makes yeah. such a world of difference and so much anxiety as a consequence of the last two years. People have been traumatized in every way, shape and form however you want to look at it. And medicating them isn't necessarily going to be a solution that matters in the long term. So I believe that that kind of therapy that is readily available and costs you nothing, what does it cost you to go walk in, in the woods, wherever you may find that? And even if it's just one sole tree, that can make a difference not just to you, but to the tree with regards to the energy exchange because blood flows in our veins, sap flows in theirs. There is a parallel to this. The energy is there, there for, for sharing in, in a way that's meaningful and sacred. Hmm. I, I do think there's a fear of nature in some respects. People are worried about going off grid, aren't they? Oh, what would happen if I got lost? Or what about if I got attacked if I was in the woods? And of course, all of those things can happen, but it can also happen in a city. It went in the middle of, <laughs> on the subway or wherever you are. And I, I think even picking, as you said, picking the apples, some people now would wonder, well, I know it's an apple. And in the mind, something is telling them, I know that this is an apple, but they wouldn't dare to eat it because it hadn't come wrapped in a plastic Sprayed with pesticides, yeah. Because they might be scared of poisoning themselves or, oh, is it the right type of apple? So there's a lack of confidence in nature, isn't there, that in some way it's dangerous in the dark woods, it's going to harm you. There's a narrative there, isn't there, that, oh, don't go off on your own, don't go wandering around in the woods at night and yet this is perhaps one of the reasons why people love all these horror films, because it's it's that feeling of, Everything is so pristine, isn't it, all the time? And we're not always faced with healthy types of danger where we are 
in a situation where we are we are out in nature. I mean, I, I really love those TV shows that are, you know, alone and things like that, where people are really forced to confront themselves. And a lot of the time it's not about nature, it's about confronting themselves because they're in a situation where they don't have the phone and they don't have all of these security blankets and comforts. And you, you do have to sit down and you have to take a good look at yourself. That is, I would say, the biggest fear the standing still and being asked to increase your level of awareness and then maybe ask the tough questions. Many people are avoiding that. And the healthiness of an, an urban environment, as much as people are dependent on that from a livelihood standpoint, you need to arrive at a point where that balance is achieved. And from my personal standpoint, that balance is readily achieved when you go out in nature, even if it's just by a pond or sitting by a creek and feeling the water flowing mm. that that's fundamental to our well-being I, I believe we're wired for that and ignoring it or turning around and saying well I like the comforts of my living room no. okay well you're they in a canned air space and you're you're not breathing actual air and you are bombarded with radiation from all of these things by way of cell towers. You know, if I want to do a, a manifestation ritual, I'm not going to do it in my house. No. And look at how ill people got when they didn't have access to nature. I mean, there is the test itself, isn't it? And very soon people did realise how much they needed that. That was the one thing people were craving, wasn't it? Like, as you say, the cherry blossom and have it been able to be outside. I still find that crazy. When I think about it now, I can hardly believe it happened. That no, we can't. You mustn't go outside. <laughs> you mustn't go outside. You mustn't mix with anybody outside. You might get ill. Stay inside. It's crazy, isn't it? How it was able to happen. Well, this mindset is perpetrated by what people rely on for information, and now it's all electronic as opposed to direct. And the other thing I hear from an attitude standpoint, which I believe is ill-founded, is the notion of, oh, well, you're just going to go back to the way our ancestors lived. And that is primitive. So primitive? Really? That's, that's what your concept of primitive is? So I think the mindset that is to a large degree programmed and conditioned needs to be reset. Mm -hmm. But I think people want that. I really do. Um, the number of people that want to come on my herb walks... Oh, I'd love to come on those words. Oh, you know, I must come and get in the front. I think, well, you can go on one by yourself. You don't need me. I'm just, I'm just there to show you what there is. You don't need an expert to go on a herb walk. And I think actually the more you learn for yourself, the better, because you re remember it then. You, you connect with, there are certain plants that you connect with intuitively that you gravitate towards. I mean, as you say, with the tree, I, I love willow trees. There's something about willow trees that I just find so beautiful, the noise of them and the fact that they buy water and they're bowing the branches down for you to climb up there. There's, do you have a favourite tree? Willow is, is I know uh, moon. So perhaps your connection to the moon and the mothering and the nurturing, that's, that's where... Mm where the moon is all about connection to the willow based on water. Those are the associations. The moon is a feminine energy and it is cool and moist. And that's the environment a willow thrives in. I have to share a story with you. When my parents bought their home, there was a willow tree in the backyard and I adored it. I adored it, but I think something had contaminated the leaves. Oh. They, they cut the willow down. I mourned that tree for three days. They hired a person to... Uh, hack it down I still get goosebumps when I think about it and I just saw it looked like something that was dismembered mm. in my heart it, this was just body parts strewn in the backyard and I wept I wept for three days morning I, understand I still feel for my tree now and the fact that they'd painted tar as well on the stumps to make sure that it didn't grow back oh gosh when you think about that but then actually my um, my friend makes willow baskets I remember we talked about the spinning wheels last time which I think is a beautiful thing too and I think maybe, maybe I would be called to take up that hobby again 
It's magnificent. It's magnificent. You have something in your hand that you have created that is a testament to the beauty of that tree. And it's mm-hmm. it's in your home. I went to a Mayan village and they gave me a basket that they wove as, as a gift because I actually went to their village. It was a five-hour drive and the man who took me said, you want to go where? To see my family? Why? Nobody wants to see that. You're a tourist, right? No, I said, no, I want to meet your family. And I want to, we were going to go rafting in these remarkable caves that were around. And I told him, he passed me to the guide there. And I said, can you show me the medicine of the plants here? This was in Belize. And she literally said, okay, looked at me like I had three heads because nobody asks for that. And I thought to myself, wow, how sad is that? Because the plant life there is beyond belief and she was just my head was exploding from the information that she shared just walking towards where we were going to go rafting she even pulled a a piece of a plant rubbed it up against my thumb and said this is iodine this is natural iodine and interestingly enough I needed that for my thyroid so of all the things that she would be showing me that's the one thing that I would need so there that was not an act of random I think that was a synchronization that was just, that's creator talking to us. Gosh, how that knowledge is being lost so rapidly in the space of a generation. Well, not as a consequence of what you're doing. And in my own small way, I'm trying to achieve the same purpose. Just reconnecting, all of that will come flowing back. I honestly believe so. And, you know, having a guide does make a difference with respect to identification purposes. But I can tell you in my own little modest garden where I live in a townhouse, the plants I need spring up. They just show up. So motherwort shows up. It's like, okay, I have some grief to resolve here. You're right. That's why you're growing here. And I honor and acknowledge the presence of that plant. And the same goes for dandelions. Why are they so prolific? Well, because everyone has liver issues right now. So time to do a tincture of dandelion root and do your detox. That's why they're there. Instead of you saying, oh, my lawn is festered with these things and I need to spray them to kill them. It's all backwards. Yeah. Just up the road, there is, well, on, on our estate, there is a, a big, great big patch. Do I have this? I don't know if you can answer this question. It's a bit of a conundrum. So people are saying, you don't pick anything where the dogs wee. And yet where the dogs wee is the most, that's where all of the nutrients are. So there must be some minerals going back into the earth there. I think, well, goodness forbid that the acid rain might fall on the dandelion. I mean, if we can't protect it from everything, can we? I think, I don't know, would you pick some, would you pick? I know for a fact that from a farming standpoint, uh, you're going to be using sheep manure, cow manure, Mm. the contents of the, the fecal material inspire growth for the bacteria that are in the soil and mm-hmm. the same applies to urine i even know someone who did urine therapy which many people are absolutely yeah. revolted by but in many ways it boosts your immune system if you know how to do it correctly well, we talked about that in college actually and how to make face washes and it's very good nice for your skin there you have it tell you, i'll tell you a story about that actually please do it's a bit gross i can remember <laughs> My friend actually got locked out of his car. This is a long, 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 long time ago before people have these electronic keypads and you have to actually physically put the, you know, and wind the window down. Um, and he said, I didn't know what to do. I had to get locked out of my car. And he said, I know what, I'll wee on it. <laughs> Weed on the locks. There we go, straight back in, defrosted. I think sometimes, people, or, and as well, if you cut your leg, you've got nothing at all. You've got no antiseptic. What have you got? You've got that. You've, there's always something at your disposal, isn't there, that nature provides. So we shouldn't mock these things, should we? The, the other point I was going to go back to about the about where to pick herbs from, on my herb route, there is a very old cemetery and it is filled with herbs because the monks used to have that as their monastic herb garden. So the heritage of the plants, the medicinal plants that are in there is vast, and people say, oh, say we mustn't pick anything from the cemetery because of the chemicals or whatever coming from the bodies. I think to myself, mm, I wonder if people would use those plants in 
spells or in magic as ancestor medicine, perhaps. No question about it. So I think it's very important, isn't it? Not just if you want to learn about herbs, not just to learn about the plants themselves, but also to be respectful of the land and the area that they grow in and where they are gathered because of the energy of that particular spot. I was asked to consult for a family in Texas that was having issues with paranormal events going on on their property. So I did a a check and what I said to them was, uh, you've backed up the water. I don't know who did that or why they did that, but letting that water flow will create a proper grid line because it's all electromagnetic pulses. And if you're blocking up the water, then you are artificially preventing the flow and you're going to have all kinds of stuff happening in terms of portals and vortices of energy. And they... Because it was a community situation in terms of the land and that water, they weren't in a position where they could actually make that happen. But then what I had found also was at the crossroads when they showed me the geography by way of uh, Google Maps, because I wasn't in Texas. So what I did notice was there was a tree at the crossroads at the entrance because a lot of the chaotic energy was at the entrance of the land, not on on the house itself. And I said, you need to do a ceremony with that tree. That tree is the guardian of that Mm. whole section of land. If you honor the tree, a lot of this is going to go away. Mm. And you can get some kind of restored balance by acknowledging the presence of that tree and its purpose for being there. Sure enough, they they were happy to do that, and it was within their power to do so, and it did make a difference. It's incredible, isn't it? And actually talking about those, I'm thinking about the the other tree, the yew tree that I always tip my hat to, and there is another yew tree which is in this cemetery, in in the graveyard, just by the door. Now that yew tree, we sit by that and we have our meditations and our little drumming ceremony. So it's not the yew tree itself, it depends on the actual energy of the tree and of the land, doesn't it, that you you must be conscious of when you, ever you're harvesting or taking anything from the land. Absolutely, and living in harmony with it. The yew represents death and transformation. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very powerful tree. You can have yews that are 5,000 years old. Mm-hmm. They, they restore and regenerate themselves. Always, always. Because of the sun. The Precisely. Sun. Yeah, I, it, the answers are all there. Nature talks to us. It's really just a question of paying attention. Mm-hmm. And for me, just the, the trees are are there to do exactly that. And I believe they have their community. They do networking. Most assuredly, they do. And whenever there's a tree that's ill, they will send their resources as a group to facilitate the healing of that tree. Otherwise, if they know that it's a goner and that it's beyond repair they will pull everything back so that it falls away and then gets absorbed and provides the nutrients for new growth and that's the way it works with everything and it it is nice to think about the wood being used isn't it for things like wands or walking sticks we went on a lovely coastal walk last year in the summer and the man who was the leader of the group again it was a blackthorn stick that he had carved for himself and he said I have to take this everywhere I go when I'm walking this stick walks the land with me because of the it's Mm. magical it truly is and just understanding and feeling that and getting acquainted with it and merging with it is extraordinary and that's where miracles happen that's where the magic lives and we we need to revive that and restore that and even something like that I was actually going to take my group to, but the, the one thing I have advocated, I wanted to tell them what tree is associated with their month of birth. From a druidic standpoint, every month of the year has a specific tree associated with it. And then the idea of making their own wands from a branch of that tree is a way of recognizing their own blueprint and appreciating the plant kingdom version of that incarnation. Mm. But I advise them that they are not to take the branch off the tree. They just need to put the intention out that they'll find a branch that's been discarded for whatever reason 
and that that's the branch that they need to do their ritual with, not just pull a live branch off of a tree, which is, to me, abuse. Mm. Have you ever studied the Owen? Um... Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. This is a form of divination that's near and dear to my heart, and... And it comes from your neck of the woods. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, mean, I don't claim to know a great deal about it. I mean, I've, I've read a couple of books. It's a lifelong study, isn't it? I'm always it a bit skeptical about people who set themselves up as experts because we're all just children in primary school when it comes to nature. Odin discovered the runes when he was hanging upside down on Yggdrasil. I believe that somewhere in our DNA, this information is stored and what our ancestors did wasn't all wrong. So this whole notion of what you classify as progressive and advanced, so this whole idea of third world countries, I can honestly tell you, Sarah, when I went to that Mayan village, there was nothing third world about it. I saw mm -hmm. the harmony, the beauty, the peace. I can guarantee you they weren't affected by any lockdowns. Uh, no. Because they were living on the land in complete isolation. They, their food was readily available within arm's reach. They did what was necessary to respect and honor. They live in hammocks on, on dirt floors. And they're perfectly content and have everything that they need and are living in a, an environment that I can only envy with respect to how they walk through the world, honestly. It's quite interesting. I remember there was a television documentary on Netflix not long ago. It was it called Ancient Archaeology. Do you know that program? Yes. And it, I mean, really, when we when you see the things that were built, and even things like Stonehenge, we can't fathom how that was made, how they moved those stones, and yet, is that a primitive structure? I don't think so. We we forgot it. It's not that we didn't know or that we were stupid. It's just that, again, the information and the knowledge has been lost, hasn't it? And I think that each generation goes by, we are moving further away from that knowledge. Well, thanks to people like yourself, there is the opportunity to get reacquainted and to wake up those codes within our ancestral memory. And honoring the ancestors is part of that. I mean, when was the last time a person mm -hmm. set a plate out for their loved ones who've crossed over and just acknowledge that they are still with us and we can ask them for help and ask them for knowledge and wisdom that would not be accessible to us while we're in a body. And these these are old customs that need to be revived, in my view, if we're going to get through this transition, because I really believe we are in a, a big transition and taking advantage of the opportunity to find the divinity within ourselves, which is readily available when you are in nature. It, it speaks, true. it sings to us. It really, truly does. I think I was actually looking back through my old course book the other day, and there are even now the, co the herbs that are taught on the courses, there are a certain number of um, species or a certain number of genuses that, that are covered. But then like, you look in the old books and there, there are plants, and it's called, actually called blood and bone. And it looks like the bandage, you know, like the barbershop pole with the bandages. And I thought, I was never taught about that on my course. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of herbs that aren't in the textbooks. But people knew about them and people used them every day. So I even think now on the, on the college courses are becoming a little bit more academic and a little bit more scientific maybe and moving away from the intuitive knowledge. I hope that doesn't erode too much. I don't think so. I think that there are many people who are looking because they're asking the big questions. And perhaps that was the blessing in the lockdown is that we were forced to stand still whether we wanted to or not. And many people were beginning to reevaluate what their priorities are and what is really important to them and how they want to continue living their lives. So we're going to go through a big transition and choices will have to be made. And my choice is definitely to go within and appreciate that as within, so without. So though that inner knowing is also, once you make that intention, the universe conspires with you and it shows and sends you signs. Whenever I want to connect with the angelic realm, I find feathers everywhere. It's almost guaranteed. 
and as you said, the intellectual versus the intuitive, we've been conditioned to be rewarded to be rational, logical, but there is a whole portion of our brain that functions on a completely different level. And acknowledging that and being receptive to it will bring us the balance that we desperately need. Hmm. From an emotional standpoint, anytime I feel ungrounded, I'll, I'll go towards the trees and immediately I can feel their embrace. And there is that level of knowing. Almost, I, I go back to that child wonder state and I can feel their embrace. Literally, I can feel them. Well, the trees here are having a bit of a hard time today because we've got 70 mile an hour uh, gale forced wind. <laughs> I think I can see quite a few branches blowing around people's uh, gardens today. So, yes, our, our springtime has regressed to, it feels like, it still feels like winter here. I don't know what it's like with, with you at the moment, but it's very, very cold. We've had anomalies, weather anomalies that are unprecedented, but I believe that's also a consequence of uh, solar flare activities and the fact that the sun is also injecting the earth with energy that's going to produce these types of phenomena. And we need to be aware and tap into that. And we need to know that the beauty is fragile and that we need to actively participate in maintaining that. You know, we've lost so many songbirds and our butterfly. I, I remember when I was little seeing the monarchs, when the monarchs emerged, you saw them in droves. Mm -hmm. Now I'm counting them. I can literally count them. Well, you're very rare to even see a cabbage one now, aren't the white ones. I can't remember the last time I saw a butterfly. I can't remember. Or a ladybird. Actually, the yellow ones, we used to like get them in our matchboxes and put them all in the garden, take them to the garden. Yeah, but we can bring them back. It's, it's really, we just have to sing to them, call out to them, tell them that we respect and appreciate them. I have to tell you about a book that came from England that I purchased as on my coffee table because in one way it made me really sad. They had published this book in an effort to revive words that had been lost in the vocabulary. I think I have that book. I wouldn't be surprised. But when I looked, even something like the word otter. Is that the book? No, it's a different one. But I'm certain that that is in alignment with the same thing. This one thing. is called, if you can still see. Uncommon um, Ground, A Word Lover's Guide to British Landscape. Yeah, oh, and it's very similar to, to that. There you so. go. Yeah, I, they didn't. It wasn't just vegetation. In this instance, it was even the animal kingdom where people don't even use the word otter who were talking about endangered words <laughs> that aren't part of the vocabulary anymore. They actually included otter in that. And I thought, good God, are you kidding me? How is that possible? That's shocking, isn't it? It is. And when I looked at the words, I thought, this is a clear indication. Our vocabulary matters. Words have power. Mm -hmm. So if we stop using them, then maybe the things that are made manifest by use of those words will start disappearing. Gosh, I can imagine saying to a child, have you seen an otter? And them looking as if you were talking about an alien. Yeah. That's very upsetting now. I don't know how to come back from that. Okay, well, no, my intention was not. Awareness is part of the, yeah, I know. Awareness is part of the cure. So the fact that they published this book is to me an indication that is a method by which we can fix whatever is ailing us, as you well know. So that's part of the increase your vocabulary to include nature. That's absolutely. absolutely. So the whole notion of talking in terms of triple letters, which is what everybody does on their text messages. They don't even speak in sentences anymore. So Gosh. we can alleviate that by doing precisely what you're doing, taking people on walks, getting reacquainted with the land beneath our feet. And I can't begin to tell you how happy I was just to hear the robins singing. They're the heralds of spring and hearing them and the red winged blackbirds where I walk the dog. That's my moment of peace and meditation. I relish that every single day. There are certain sounds, aren't there? I like the wood pigeons and they always come just at when it's starting to turn to dusk. And just that moment in time, it's very fleeting, but just that moment in time, it's just the sky starting to turn and you can hear the wood pigeons, you think. Oh. It's sacred. It's an absolute sacred moment. They're singing the day's end. 
And then you've got the other birds singing the morning, hearing roosters crowing. I can't believe that people would be agitated by that. Well, people here say about the um, the seagulls. Well, I can't imagine being by the beach, by the seaside, without the seagulls there. It's just not the same, is it? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't I think they're going to die out anytime soon, though, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I well by all of the tourists. Here. Well, some of them are huge and nearly as big as a small child. People here are saying that those are just rats with wings. What a, what a thing to say. I like rats, so it's not like uh, I have a problem with rats either. But uh, I can tell you, there was one moment where this just showed me where we're at. Years ago, we had a garbage strike. So the people who collected the garbage were protesting their contract negotiation. And from my standpoint, the garbage collectors have more value than the mayor, honestly, because when they stopped doing what they did, the mountains of trash in a matter of days was readily available to everyone's view. And there were literally rats and raccoons fighting in the middle of the day that people could see with respect to getting their bits of, which again, people hate rats and they hate raccoons. I love them both, but they have their purpose and God help us if they weren't around, truly. But there, but, exactly. And there again, it does go to show really how much we underestimate the power of nature because it's a very thin line between civilization and things start to break down and very quickly nature will come in and take over very quickly. So maybe we haven't got that much to worry about after all. I don't think so. I think, and I know during the lockdown, there was so much talk about things in terms of the environment's shifting towards the the positive so that should be a wake-up call too in terms of how we live swans being present in venice which was unheard of for the longest time and fish populations being restored so at the end of the day what's the vermin in this equation for the most part <laughs> exactly perhaps we should create a word for that <laughs> and just ban everyone from saying it ever again <laughs> and this was the beauty of, of being exposed to the native teachings when they say, leave the space you're in better than the way you found it and walk lightly through the world. So if you're going to leave mountains of trash, how are you honoring your space? Mm. And it's not the animals and the plants that are making the trash. No, it's quite interesting. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called The Salt Path. And it's about a lady that's walked through no fault of her own. She became homeless and just decided to pass some time walking around the southwest coast of Cornwall. And some of the observations that they make in that, how people treat the landscape and how they look at it as a tourist trail rather than this ancient route that is to be honoured. But again, it's our, it's the way that we choose to look at life, isn't it, really? You can be walking next to somebody on the path and have completely different and see two completely different things. No question about it. And using your compassion, I mean, having a woman who's homeless, how can that be? And what's the community doing about it? Mm. Instead of just looking at her as something that should be discarded, looking at her as living trash, we mm. need to support and build around that person's destitution and try to bring them back to a level where they can function effectively so that could happen to any one of us any one of us at okay. any it was very interesting to see also to note her changing thoughts about anxiety while this was happening because obviously it's such a terrible situation for her to find herself in suddenly but then she would pass by people who would say things to her, oh, you're so lucky to have the time to do that walk. And she's like, yeah, do you know, I am. Because they would be rushing around. To, and she's like, I have, apart from the one, I won't ruin the story if anybody wants to read the book, but apart from those issues, she's like, I've, I've got all the time in the world to walk this path. Camp anywhere I want to camp. I don't have to camp paid fifteen pounds a night to stay on a campsite. Or I mean, it's it's, it's a good story if anybody wants to read that book. Liberation, yeah, the liberation of the spirit, not being tied to material things. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself is a message, most assuredly. And this is where our priorities need to shift. 
as we said, the, the abundance is there for the taking if we approach the, the world we live in with respect and with mm. with reverence. There's very little reverence. Exactly. And a friend of mine recently said to me, you know, there is no lack. There's enough for everyone. There is abundance for everyone. And yet we are living in this era of fear, of lack, of worry, anxiety, poverty. And yet things are being thrown away. There's, a, there's enough for everybody. Everything's disposable, including people. And uh, that needs to change. And perhaps we're in a phase now where, where that change will apply. And we probably had to arrive here at that level of dormancy, let's call it, where the heart needs to be woken up, not just the head. The head can be on overdrive, which is where a lot of anxiety stems. You're all in your head. Where's your heart? So mm -hmm. giving the heart its voice. And nature is the best place to hear your heart. At least that's, that's my personal view and why I so appreciate your time and your beautiful melodic voice just bringing that beauty into the space. Honestly, it makes a huge difference. Uh, the energy you carry is so profoundly peaceful and it's absolutely musical in its tone. And I thank you so much for bringing that into our space. We need so much more of that. And everyone who can take the time to just listen, listen to their own hearts, listen to the nature around them. Things could change overnight if we just chose to do that. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. I always enjoy talking with you. Sarah, tell people how they can find you. And although uh, many of our listeners are not on your great shores, perhaps they would be able to avail themselves of your services by way of your magnificent blog that I always relish reading and whatever it is that you would provide in the way of insights that you could share by way of written word and by anything else that you're offering to the public. I'm not very good at publicising myself, I must be honest. I really, really, really enjoy writing and I find great peace in that. And part of my commitment is, again, as we talked earlier on, about making sure that this knowledge is passed down to future generations and not lost in the ether of time. So I almost find it my duty and obligation, despite it being the, the thing that I enjoy the most in life, to record information about herbs, about how to use them in your everyday life, about good old-fashioned recipes that we should all really know how to do because they are basic kitchen cupboard door room remedies. So I like to write about all of these kinds of things. I write about plants. I write about Cornish folklore. I write about herbal energetics, all of these things on my blog. So you can find me on The Herbalist's Diary, which is a Substack publication on the Substack platform, which I really do enjoy this platform because it is, I like to call it really the, it's like a writer's Twitter, I suppose. It's it's a very, very nice environment. It's full of lots of very well-spoken, educated people who've got a lot of interesting things to say. And I so I enjoy publishing on there. So you can find me on Substack, The Herbalist Diary. I've also got my own personal website, which is where you can book an appointment, a consultation with me if you wish to seek advice about a specific health concern or if you want to book and come with me and go on a herb walk. Oh, and that's alcamilla.co, alcamilla.co. I'm going to be sure to put that in the show notes for everybody and then one of these days I'm going to make my way to Cornwall and knock on your door so we can do a, a little stroll together and I, that would be absolute bliss for me, most assuredly. Um, Thank you so much, Sarah. Talk about all of the things that we want to say. Is well, I think this is why I'm just going to keep bringing you back. <laughs> because the other thing I want to talk to you about next time is perfume and and the impact of the olfactory senses as far as how you can restore, renew and bring about healing by way of what we smell and how that's associated with all kinds of goodies and how one can go about making that themselves. Oh, yes. Well, on a side note, I've become quite obsessed with hair perfume at the moment. So I'm quite enjoying making some nice scents. To We're going to have to talk. <laughs> 
Anyway, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed spending time with you. Thank you. It's an absolute joy, Sarah. And thank you for blessing my audience with your presence. And we will talk again soon.